slavery back in Egypt, this was their moment that they'd all been waiting for, their opportunity to enter the promised land. And before doing so, these two spies were sent to spy out the land. I want you to know interruptions oftentimes lead to opportunities. I struggled with how to wordsmith this uh, a lot. Um, and it finally landed on the word interruptions. And the reason I'm calling it interruptions is it seems like so often when God presents us with an opportunity, it's an opportunity that we don't see coming. And I don't know about you, but I have very few days where I'm just sitting around with nothing to do. <laughs> and all of a sudden, God puts an opportunity in my path. And the hardest thing to do sometimes is that initial step of recognizing things that surprise us, that come onto our calendar that we weren't planning on, and to see them as an opportunity to glorify God, an opportunity to be used in his kingdom work. When was the last time that you experienced something you didn't see coming, and your first response was to say, okay, God, how do you want to use this? For your kingdom. Oh, it's good things and bad things. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe a check comes in the mail from the insurance company and it says, thank you for being a safe driver. Here's a $25 reward. And you didn't see that $25 coming. And maybe you say to yourself, how can I use this for God's kingdom? What's a way that I could bless someone or be used by God or perhaps invest this, kind of like the parable of the talents, and, and multiply this $25 four times over and be able to return to the Lord $100? When was the last time that a surprise came your way and you saw it, this interruption perhaps as an opportunity? They're not always good interruptions, though, are they? The first ones that come in my mind, quite honestly, are the negative ones. That flat tire on the side of the road I wasn't planning to have. That will lead to a conversation with someone on the phone with AAA. And that within a few hours or days <laughs> will result in me meeting someone that's going to come to assist me in perhaps repairing the tire or towing my car in for service. Is that... A coincidence? Is that just part of life? Does it rain on the just and the unjust? Do flat tires happen to good people and bad people and there's no God element in it at all? Or could it be that this is an interruption in my schedule that God plans to lead to an opportunity to serve him? I don't know what Rahab's day had looked like up to this point, but two strangers come to her house and they are sent to spy out the land and she welcomes them in and she knows to hide them from her own people. A lot must have taken place. She'll share some of that with us, of, of why she believes their God is the one true God. But she sees this as an opportunity. Now, the term harlot or prostitute, depending on your translation, mine is the English Standard Version, Depending on what translation that you use, um, you know, it may or may not conjure up certain images in your mind. There are at least three possibilities. Um, during the Old Testament time period uh, in which uh, this term was used, a harlot was often used of wicked behavior for the nation of Israel. They were participating in harlotry, it may say. Now for Rahab, as a harlot, she may have been like what we would think of with a modern-day prostitute. Or 
It could be that she was part of some sort of cultic prostitution, a worship to a false god perhaps, and maybe esteemed in her own culture and looked up to for her role in that. Or it's possible living there on the gate, that's where her house was, located on the, uh, the wall of the, of, the, of the city there of Jericho. She's there living on the wall. It may be that she's more like an innkeeper, that she has rooms that she lets out to people. But the reputation of such ladies that had rooms that they rented out was not good. <laughs> Today we talk about going to a bed and breakfast, and we expect breakfast to be part of the B&B. But back then, a harlot who had an extra room or two that she loaned out, there was more expectation than just breakfast. And a reputation went with that, one that would tarnish a person in the eyes of God and his people. Rahab brings into bold relief the power of God's love and mercy to transform a person's life. As I researched information about harlotry, a point was made that harlots in the New Testament were often recipients of Jesus' mercy. And I got to thinking about that. Isn't that true? When you think about some of the ladies that Jesus ministered to, that his heart went out to, that he stood up for and protected, were they not like the woman caught in adultery? Were they not like the woman at the well who had been married five times and the husband she had now was really not her own? And yet Jesus would go to them and present them with opportunities, opportunities for change, opportunities to be used for his kingdom. I think this is a, an interesting thing about uh, Rahab. Matthew chapter 1 lists the 28 generations of fathers and sons from Abraham to Jesus in order. But only five of them, if you go back and look at Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, your caption in your Bible may call it. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, these 28 generations, only five of these fathers have the wives of their sons mentioned with them. And Rahab is one of them. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Mary are the only four that are mentioned out of 28 in the book of Esther. Esther chapter 4 verse 14 says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. In other words, God will accomplish God's will with or without you. But you and you, Esther, and your fa father's family will perish. And who knows but what that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. This was Rahab's time. This was her opportunity to rise above her tarnished reputation and to be used by God. But the choice was her. She could have slammed the door in their face and said, I don't want any part of this. I know that you are one of the Hebrews and I don't want any part of this. I don't want you coming into my house and bringing trouble to me. But no, she welcomed them in and she hid them. The second thing, a choice that she made, is fear leads to faith. She allowed her fear to lead to faith. Let me read to you some of her testimony, and I want you to see just how much fear we are talking about here. This is dramatic. It says, So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know 
that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard, here's our answer or explanation, we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And we have heard what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. My goodness, what a testimony. She groups herself in with the us she refers to as melting with fear. Our people are melting with fear because of you, because of what we have heard. They had heard about the Red Sea parting and how the waters came crashing down on those mighty warrior Egyptian soldiers and crushed them and their chariots and their horses and killed them after the last of the Hebrews had left the river bed, the dried up riverbed, and on to dry land. And for 40 years, I imagine, rumors had spread amongst her people of, are they coming here? What's going to happen? Are they going to take our land? Their God is God in heaven and on the earth below. And for most of them, their hearts were melting with fear that they did nothing good with except be defeated by it. We are defeated because of our fear she says, but she is acknowledging that their God is the true, the true God of heaven above and the earth below, and she wants to get in on the good and not be swept away. She has allowed her fear to drive her to the one true God. I don't know that we've got enough fear in our country anymore of God. You know, as a preacher, I have many times said that the word fear is just another word for respect. You know, godly fear means godly respect, and that's true. But sometimes I think we soften that so much that we take out that fear element. We ought to be frightened over our sins. We ought to be frightened over a God who can dry up, the, who can part the Red Sea and dry up its riverbed mud. Do we fear God enough? And does that fear drive us to faith in him? That's what it did for Rahab. It had a very positive impact because she wasn't just trembling. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're defeated. No, she's allowing it to be productive and to lead her to God and to say, I want in on this. But at any rate, she still had that tarnished reputation to deal with. But all of that was about to change all of that was going to change with a sign that would give her and her people some hope that we'll come to in just a moment. But not until after the third thing, and that's boldness leads to action. Look at verses 12 through 14. Now then, she said, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all will belong and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death, our lives for your lives. And the men assured her, 
If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Matthew refers to Rahab as the wife of Salmon. Their son Boaz married Ruth and became the parents of Obed, the grandfather of Jesse, and the great-grandfather of David. Thus, a Canaanite harlot became part of the lineage of King David, out of which the Messiah came. Perhaps an earthly sign that God's grace and forgiveness is extended to all, that it is not limited by nationality or the nature of a person's sin, writes the Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. (laughs) Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. (laughs) What a great thing to be known by, right? Rahab the harlot. Rahab the prostitute becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. That's pretty awesome. I think that's amazing. One of my favorite Bible characters, and I think he's often overlooked or a little too obscure, and that is Boaz. What a true gentleman that, that Boaz is. Boaz is, uh, becomes the husband of Ruth. Ruth is a book in the Old Testament. It's just four chapters long. You could go home this afternoon, read the book of Ruth. It's a, it's a storybook. It's a narrative. It reads like a story. It's enjoyable. Read through the book of Ruth and look at what an awesome gentleman Boaz was. And Boaz, Boaz, the son of Rahab the harlot, my wife and I were talking about Boaz, and, and she couldn't help but wonder if Rahab taught him how to be a gentleman, how to be the opposite of so much of what she had experienced in the world. The scriptures do not tell us how Rahab, who came out of a culture where harlotry and idolatry were acceptable, recognized Jehovah as the one true God. But her insights recorded in Joshua 2, 9 through 11, leave no doubt that she did so. Hebrews eleven thirty one says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed, and those who were disobedient... James, in the book of James, uses Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac as an example of how a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. He goes on to say in James chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Such a popular and good expression that we teachers use. Faith without works is dead. Is the tail end of this description about Rahab the, the, the prostitute. Rahab the harlot. She demonstrated Good works, not works that save a person, but works that are intertwined with grace to show that it is the fruit of our salvation. After all those years, both the book of Hebrews and James refer to her as Rahab the prostitute, tarnished but redeemable. Finally, friendship with God leads to life. This is the happy ending to the true story. Joshua 2 verses 15 through 24 says this. So she led them down by a road through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. 
She said to them, go to the hills so the, the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. She's a very strategic leader. <laughs> now the men had said to her, this oath that you made us swear will not be binding unless, will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath that you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. And so she sent them on their way, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And when they left, they went into the hills and stayed there for three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. And then the two men started back. And they went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to him, to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. The scarlet red cord was a sign that Rahab was a friend of God. A sign that a friend of God lived there. Rahab was a friend of God. I love that it was a scarlet red cord hanging out of the same window by which the spies were allowed to escape. That this cord would serve as a sign, as a symbol. And everybody was going to be slaughtered. Everybody was going to be killed. But she would survive if she kept the secret and if she helped them out. It's reminiscent for me, perhaps of the blood of the lambs that were smeared on the door frames of the Hebrews' homes for the death angel to pass over them in Egypt. Remember that? When you had the plague of, of the firstborn sons that were all slaughtered, and the Hebrews were told, if you smear the blood of these lambs over the doorpost, then your sons will be spared. Hence, the Passover feast was launched. And how reminiscent of that, that this great moment in history that led to their release is kind of echoed by now you have a window with a scarlet red cord hanging out of it and by which redemption is once again illustrated. And it's not just a look back 40 years into the past. It's a look many, many years into the future of something else that's scarlet red. And not the blood of, of lambs over a doorpost, but the blood of the lamb smeared on the cross. The same red color that stands for our redemption. That this God who is to be feared by his enemies is a friend to us. Because when we are in Christ Jesus our Lord and we stop just trying to be good enough and to earn our salvation and we humbly admit we can't do it on our own and we invite Jesus Christ to be our Savior and we're baptized into his death, his burial, his resurrection and we get in on that redemption. When God sees us, the great avenger, the great 
punisher becomes the great savior because he sees us through the blood of Jesus. Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Such rich history in this story of Rahab that leads us to our own story that each one of us can be chosen and redeemed. We are all chosen, but we must respond how to, we must choose how we respond to the one who has chosen us. Time and time again, we read of people in the Bible being chosen by God for really cool opportunities that lead them, land them in the greatest history book ever written, the Holy Bible. And if you're like me, you say to yourself, see, I wouldn't have chosen him or her, but God knows what he's doing. He makes no mistakes. Old Testament and New Testament, he chooses people we would not necessarily choose. And he's chosen every one of us to be valuable participants in his kingdom. There's not a person in this room who has a perfect, spotless past. My guess is for most of that, most of us, that's an encouragement. <laughs> because I doubt that's a surprise to any of us. What's this? My past isn't perfect? <laughs> it's not spotless? <laughs> Did anybody think your past was perfect and was spotless? Probably not. Most of us know of our inadequacies, of our failures, of our poor choices. And I hope that it's an encouragement to know that God chose you and me in spite of it all. And he knows what he's doing. And he changes us, and he redeems us, and he uses us. Regardless of your past, God has chosen you to be useful for his kingdom work. He's also chosen lots of other people in our spheres of influence who he wants to use who don't know or believe they could ever be of value. Do we pass them by? Do we overlook them? Are they at the bottom of our selection list when they would be at the top of the Lord's? What if we begin to see ourselves through his eyes? What if we begin to see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus? Think about that. If you and I become aware of the kinds of people out there that Jesus would go to and we begin to select and change and transform them through his blood and through discipleship, and he begin, we begin pouring into them, leading them closer to him, to his redemptive and finished work on the cross, what might it mean for his kingdom? Open my eyes, Lord. Open my eyes that I might see others the way you see them. Not just their needs that I should be meeting, feeding the hungry, sheltering the homeless, clothing those that can't afford clothes. But what if I begin to see them as useful for the kingdom of God? The diamonds in the rough. When Samuel went looking for a replacement for King Saul... He came to the sons of Jesse, the shepherd, and there were several very good sons of Jesse to consider, but God had his eyes set on the youngest and smallest and least likely from human evaluation. Uh, one of the bunch that we would consider the least, David. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
We'll have a whole Sunday dedicated to David in this series, so I don't want to say too much about him now. But I hope you're encouraged to know that God has chosen you. And I hope you're motivated to know that God's chosen everyone with whom you come in contact with. And it's up to us to make sure they know that. And it's up to us to choose how we'll respond to the one who has chosen us. Pray with me, please. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for this day. An opportunity, Lord, for us to be in this house of worship, to praise your name collectively. And God, as we reflect back on our past, as we think about others, uh, Lord, who are discouraged, who know all too well of their, their flaws and their inadequacies, God, I pray that today will be a day of encouragement, that God will look at Rahab, at her place in history, and that God will see how she was a friend of yours. And God, I pray that through the scarlet, red, rich blood of your son, every one of us would come to know salvation through him. And that, God, you would use us to do immeasurably more than all we can even begin to think or imagine for your kingdom. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.